Good morning. All right. It uh, if I was planning, if I was smart enough to plan ahead for anything, which obviously I'm not, but if I was, I would have had Tracy play those very songs, and I'd have Jason come up and share what he shared, and uh, and I would look like I was really good at what I was doing, but but yes, but God is really good because when I got the word for today. My first thought was, I asked the Lord, I said, why would I preach that? That's not something I would preach. And then he said, well, I gave Jason a message last week that he would never preach. And you're to continue. And I'm like, okay. And so I never thought about it after that. And uh, and then they got up and they shared what they did, and I was like, okay, makes sense. Uh, So today, we're going to talk about healthy relationships and... uh, I, the the picture I was getting during worship was imagine uh, imagine you're at work whether you still work or not at one time you probably did and you're at work and your boss says uh, today's your last day here make it count because we're shutting down tomorrow right think about what your reaction would be in that moment right what would your what how would you process that thought process of you're losing your job that day, and that's it, right? Or imagine if you're married and your spouse says, "Ah, today's it. I'm done after this. Imagine your reaction, right? Or imagine your child saying, I'm done with you. I want nothing else to do with you. Imagine your reaction, right? And... That can go on and on and on. Friend, a friend betrays you. How do you how do you react to a friend betraying you? Right? Or even think about God. You have expectations. And God doesn't live up to your expectations. How do you react to that? How do you respond to that? Right? Those are things I want you to think about as we go through this message of how do we respond to things whenever they come up? How do we respond to people and circumstances? And and uh, as I said, the title of this message is Healthy Relationships, but in the end, I think it's going to kind of make you think more about as it makes you a healthy you, right? Are you a healthy you? Okay. And so we're going to start in Matthew 22, verse 34, and I got a few different scriptures here. And it's going to be a little different because I'm going to go through the script, uh, scriptures and then I'm going to get into the message mostly. But it says, But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. And I've shared the scripture a lot lately. It said, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love your Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. And with all your mind, this is the great and first commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for who you are, Lord. I do thank you so much for how you love us. It is something we can't comprehend, Lord. You are so good to us, Lord. We love you, God. And Father God, I pray that as we we sit here today and we listen to you, Lord, that you would speak your words through me, God. I would get out of your way and that we would each receive exactly what you have for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to go into John 13, but I want to remind you as as you go to John 13 that uh, when he says to love your neighbor as yourself, Sometimes we get, we kind of take that loosely, right? And, and we, we don't put that in full thought process, but uh, we have to remember the Good Samaritan. The Good Samaritan, not a Jew, but he saw the beaten Jew and he loved him. He took care of him, right? We have to remember that. He wasn't, uh, wasn't his true neighbor. Wasn't even a friend, wasn't even somebody with the same belief system as him. 
but he was his neighbor, Jesus said. Which one loved his neighbor? And it was the Samaritan. And so whenever we see this, and he says you need to love your neighbor as yourself, we have to remember it doesn't mean our true neighbor, not just the person living next to us, not just the person in this church, right? Not just the person I work with. It's all people. We're to love them as ourselves, right? So I want to see how that looks. And uh, I love that song of, you know, how we don't comprehend his love. It doesn't make sense. It truly doesn't make sense. His love doesn't. Like, we're all deserving, as in the words of Dave Brandon, we all deserve the hottest pits of hell. Yet we received mercy instead. How does that make sense? We, If you're honest with yourself, you're one of the worst people to ever live in your mind because you know how bad you are and what you've thought and the things you do and... And you think, how did he how did he do this? How did he love me like this? If we're honest with ourselves, right? It just doesn't make sense. But anyway, John 13, verse 1. And uh, there's a lot of stuff you can go to with John 13, and we're not going into the symbolism of them. I just want you to see what Jesus does here, right? says, it was just before the Passover festival, Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave the world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. So this is the day before he's going to die, and he knows it, right? And so I want you to still think of what I said before. Imagine you knew you had one day left wherever you're at. Even if it's one day left on the earth, what is your thought process? What are you doing? Right? The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the mill, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Jesus had all authority in that moment to do whatever he wanted to do. He knew it. He also knew Judas was going to betray him. He also knew it was part of God's plan. And he could have immediately stood up and said, Judas, you need to get out of here. Judas, you're wrong. Judas, I can't believe you're the way you are. Judas, you're a devil. He could have said all kinds of things to Judas that he did not say. And I want you to think of that. Like, how many times have people wronged you? Or you knew that they were thinking something? Or you knew that they were against you? That you've treated in that kind of way. That you've said, I want nothing to do with you. Right? You're a horrible person. Get out of here. Right, our actions towards people like that. Right, trust me, I'm the same way. It uh, God tested me on this yesterday. I'm thinking like I just want to tell somebody, you're the worst of the worst. Get away from me. And then God reminded me this, and I'm like, oh yeah, I can't really say that. It's not the way He wants it done. Right. So here He is. He takes the lowest servant job and begins to wash their feet. Right. And uh. This is the worst job in that time period, right? And still today, it's not the worst job in our time period, and none of us want to wash somebody else's feet, right? Like, we're not sitting around like, man, I really want to wash Kevin's feet. That would be awesome. See that? He'll let you. We don't sit around thinking that way because we're like, I don't want to touch your feet. Keep them out of my face. They stink. And they were worse then. Right? But this was the job for the lowest servant. This job was so rough that the person would be treated like a dog. They would conduct business and say things in front of these people as if they weren't real people. Like, that's the way you were treated as the person who washed the feet in the household. You were less than a dog. It's a crazy concept. And Jesus is like, well, this is who I'm going to be today. And he came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus replied, Do not 
You do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall not wash my feet. And Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Hmm. Then, then, Lord Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean. So he's pointing out that all I need to do is take away the dirt of the world from you. You're already clean, right? Though not every one of you, for he knew who was going to betray him. And that was why he said not everyone was clean. He is doing this very act to a man who is unclean, even though he said, I don't need to do it to those who are I don't need to wash the whole body of those who are clean, just their feet. Yet he didn't tell Judas, I need to wash all of you. He's still treating Judas as if he belongs. He didn't have to. He's Jesus. He could have quickly rebuked him and put him in his place. And oftentimes we would think as justified people, that is our job to rebuke people and put them in their place. Jason taught the very thing last week in his message of uh, how we're often easier on the church than we are on the unchurched, right? And he said if we have the cure and we don't share it, what's that say about us, right? And uh, Jesus had the cure and he was sharing it. Because Judas didn't want it and he didn't force it upon him, right? So when he had finished washing their feet, he put his his clothes, put on his clothes and returned to his place. And he said, do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them, you call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should wash one another's feet. And I don't know about you, but if I'm in that point, I'm confused. Because I'm first flabbergasted that Jesus just washed my feet. The Savior of the world just decided to be the lowest of servants. But then I'm also probably flabbergasted of the thought process of, uh uh-oh, do I have to be the servant to wash his feet every day? That's my thought I would probably have had because logically speaking, if you tell me that, my thought is, is this what you want me to do, right? And he said, I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. And uh, we're no greater than him. We're actually lesser than our master. We are no greater than Jesus Christ, yet he did not feel the need to condemn Judas. He did not feel the need to out Judas in front of everybody else. He didn't feel the need to to ostracize Judas. He just washed his feet. He treated him like everybody else there. Treated him no different. Blows my mind. It'd be like if I knew somebody in here was going to kill me today. I would probably try to avoid that person. I would probably call the law and say, hey, get this person out of here. I don't think I'd be washing their feet. I don't know. But Jesus did, right? I want to point out a point here. Where are we at here? Jesus says, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. And Jesus is saying, unless I serve you, You have no part with me. That was his act of love. Unless Jesus loved those people, unless he poured his love upon them, he put his love into action, they had no part of him. You know why? Because he wasn't invested in them otherwise. We only truly love those we invest in. Fathom that. The only way they had a part in him is if they let him serve them. And that's a, that's a concept that 
we have to get the concept that we got to start understanding that for a couple reasons. One is we have to let Jesus love us. We have to receive that love. We have to receive that mercy. We have to receive that grace. We have to let that pour into us. Sometimes we try to fight it because we don't deserve it, but we have to allow it, just like Peter had to, right? Sometimes you're like, but you don't understand what I've done. Jesus said, hey, you're no worse than Judas, and I washed him, right? But in the same thing, we need to pour our love upon other people, right? We need to do the same things. And uh, so trying to move this on. So we're going to go to Luke 22, verse 59. And uh, Jesus says after this, as he's talking to the disciples, and they all profess how they'll never deny him and they love him, and Jesus says that all of them will deny him. And Peter says, I won't. And Jesus says, not only will you deny me, you will deny me three times. Right? You would deny me three times before the rooster crows twice. And I like that it's before the rooster crows twice, not once. Because he has a warning in there. Like God's like, he, he notices the rooster crows one time, and he don't stop. Right? And so, he was all in. And, says, and after an interval of about an hour, still another insisted, saying, Certainly this man also was with him, for he too is a Galilean. But Peter said, man, I do not know what you're talking about. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the saying that the Lord, uh, of the Lord, how he had said to him, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. In other translations, it says the rooster would crow twice. But either way, I can't imagine when you're Peter, you just denied Jesus uh, three times, one of them to a little girl, a little servant girl who had no reason for him to be afraid of. And he could have been like, yeah, yeah, just shut up. I know him, yeah. But he didn't. He denied her three times. But then it tells us, and the Lord turned and looked at Peter. That, uh, I can't imagine how that cuts. When the Lord looks at you right after you get done denying him three times, and the Lord knows it the whole time, and he looks at you, and he's like, yep, there it is, right? I, uh, I'd i be cut to the deep on that. I don't know how you would respond to that, probably much like Peter. Peter goes, and he hides, and then he goes back to his old way of life, right? That's probably what I would do in that moment. Here I am, the wretched person, worst of the worst, betrayed my best friend. But we go to John 21, 4, and it says, Just as the day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, Children, do you have any fish? And they answered him, No. He said to them, Cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast it. And now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. They've seen this before. <laughs> They've seen this miracle. It's, it's happened more than once. What I don't quite comprehend here is they didn't know he was Jesus, yet they still listened this time. I would not have thought they would want to do that. And it said, uh, The disciples whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, which is we know is John because John loves to call himself the disciple Jesus loved. And uh, to which I think is awesome because I like to think I'm the one Jesus loves. And uh, the disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, It is the Lord. And when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work. And he threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land but about a hundred yards off. And when they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish that you have just caught. 
So Simon Peter went about, went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. You want to talk about an eager man. Let's say they're only two-pound fish. I don't know. It says they're large fish, but let's say they're two pounds. If there's 153 of them, that's 306 pounds, and he drug it in on his own. He's like, I got this. He is excited. His Lord is there. I don't know. Ask me to drag it in. I'm going to be like, hey, a couple guys come help me. Peter jumped in, and he grabbed that thing, right? And I'm going to say it's probably heavier than that. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. And Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them. And so and so with the fish. And this was now the third time that Jesus had revealed himself to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. And I want you to picture that. Every last one of you denied Jesus. Peter denied him three times, feeling like the worst of the worst. And, you know, Jesus could have done a lot of things in that moment. He could have walked on the water out there to him and said, hey, you guys still don't know how to fish? You know, he could have waited on the water until they got done, and he could have sat there and said, how can you, how can you guys all deny me? Right? He could have addressed the situation. He could have said, look, I just died. I did everything for you, and I died, and you guys leave? You have no part of me? You go back to doing what you were doing after everything I taught you? He could have easily done that, but he didn't. He made them breakfast. He didn't even need their fish. He already had it made. And then tells them to bring their fish, too. He had provided for them. He had served them in a way that, if you've ever been betrayed, you've never served your friend who betrayed you in that way. But he did it because he loves in a way that we don't love. He loves in a way we don't even comprehend and we can't explain it. But he loves in a way we should be loving. We should love the exact same way he loves. And if you go throughout all of Scripture, the way he treated the woman at the well, right? The way he treated the beggars, the way he treated so many other people, the lepers. Nobody would even go around a leper. They couldn't even touch them. He did. The tax collectors, look how he, he treated the tax collectors, right? If he was here today, look how he would treat the meth addicts. He'd probably look at them funny, but he would treat them different than we do, right? Because he's the Lord who does this. He never once says to them, you guys didn't believe, and now look at me, right? You guys walked out on me, but here I am. He never says any of that. He never addresses anything that they have. All he asks Peter is, do you love me? And Peter's like, you know I do. And he said, Peter, you love me? He goes, you know I do. And then he asked him a third time, and he says, Peter, do you truly love me? And Peter weeps, and he says, yes, Lord. And all he keeps telling him is to feed his people, take care of his people, do what I've done for you, right? Because Peter denied him and went back to doing what he was doing, not what he was trained to do. And as soon as somebody hurts us, we usually go back to our old self instead of the self that Jesus has made for us, right? Instead of being who Jesus has called us to be. And so I said I wanted to go through the Scriptures really quickly, and then I'm going to go into the implication of this. We're going to talk about our relationships. And uh, I'm not one to talk much about relationships, but we're going to talk about our relationships, right? And uh, I still have time, so we're going to make this work. Okay, so I want you to think about this. The relationship you have with those who can do nothing for you. And truthfully, not, nobody could do anything for Jesus. Jesus was Jesus. He had all authority. He could literally do whatever he wanted to. He didn't need other people. He wanted other people to be a part of what he was doing, right? How do we love those who can't help us, right? And uh, Proverbs nineteen seventeen says, whoever is generous to the poor, lends to the Lord, and he will repay him for his deed. And I want you to think of that as uh, there are so many people in this world you look at and you're like, oh, I don't want to be around that person. I don't like that person. There's, there's something about them that you just want nothing to do with them. And unless the Holy Spirit's telling you to stay away from them, you're to love them. You're to serve them. 
You know, I'm not saying you give them everything. I'm saying you help them. How do we treat them? Do we treat them with love? Maybe yours isn't to take them out for a meal. Maybe yours isn't to wash their feet. But do you treat them with respect? How do you speak to them? How do you respond to them? Do you have a disdain in you instead? Do you feel like, ah, I want nothing to do with that person? Or do you look at them like, that poor person, they need to know Jesus. Right? Do we do we look at them as somebody who needs the cure Jason talked about last week? Or do we look at them as somebody that isn't worth our time? Right? That's a, that's that's an important relationship we need to think about. Is the relationships with the world. Right? Then I go back to the relationship at work. Whenever if you're at a regular workplace or you just do work around different areas, you volunteer, whatever you do, what does your relationships look like there? Right? Do you go in and and Jimmy ain't doing his job very well and you're like, man, I can't stand Jimmy. He sucks at this. I don't even know why they don't fire him. Or do you go to Jimmy and you say, Jimmy, I notice you're struggling. How can I help you get better at this? Jimmy, have you ever thought that maybe... There's a job out there that you're really good at that you would do awesome at, and you're here and you're not happy. Or you have all the people who are there who are just miserable, and you're like, hey, you know, this job, you shouldn't take it that serious. Right? You should do your best while you're here, but your joy and happiness doesn't come from here. Your joy and happiness comes from the Lord. Right? Do we come along, do we just stay away from those who grumble, or do we speak to them and love them and treat them well? The ones who don't do a very good job, do we come beside them and help them? Or when a job, when, a, when the boss is asking you to do more than, than you believe he should, do you just do it and say, hey, I'll do that, man, I'll help you out? How do we respond in situations when people put more on us than they should? Or the people around us, how do we love them? How do we wash their feet? Whenever truthfully you just want to tell them you're horrible, you need to leave. Instead, we should say, hey, you know what? I see you're trying. You're struggling. Let me help you. Let me help you be better at what you're doing. Right? We can do that. And we may have a boss who is horrible. We've all had bad bosses. And you look at them and you're like, how did this person get this job? You're not good at this. Or you can come up to them and you can say, hey, I know you have this position and I, I really respect that. What can I do to help you be the best at this? And maybe they're not even a person who would receive that, so you just start doing the things that make them better, to make them look good. And it's uh, Matthew five sixteen says, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your moral excellence. And your praiseworthy, noble, and good deeds, and recognize and honor and praise and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Do you look like that at work? Does everybody look at you at work and say, Man, he he got moral excellence. She's praiseworthy. And her deeds are so good and noble. Do they see that in you? Or do they see like, man, that person says they're a Christian, but they're more unhappy than anybody? Like, whoever God is that person serving, I want no part of it. Right? We all have been around that Christian at at work. (laughs) You're like, glad I'm already a Christian because I wouldn't follow your God. Right? That's the way we live a lot of times, right? And even our bosses, they look at us and they're like, man, I don't want to hire a Christian because they think they're better than everybody else. They, they don't think they have to do what everybody else does. What about your relationships with your friends? And this is, uh, this is one that most of us are like, well, they're my friends. I love them. But what about when they do something wrong to you? Or what if they're not living up to their end of the friendship? Or what if they do something that hurts your feelings? Or what if they're just not around as much? Or what if they're talking behind your back? Or what if whatever? How do we respond to that? Do we attack them? 
do we defriend them? Do we leave? Do we start talking behind their back? How do we do that? Or what about the friend when another friend comes to you and talks behind your other friend's back and starts gossiping about that friend? Do you join in? Do we say like, yeah, you're right. I think that same thing. He or she shouldn't be doing this or he and she that. Or do you go to that friend and say, hey, look, I love you. And we have this between us. Right? Do you say, hey, let me buy you lunch. Let me take you to dinner. Hey, I want to have you over this week so I can just cook for you and take care of you. And they're like, really? Like, I thought you were upset with me. No, I love you. You're my friend. I can look past all that other stuff. Right? Jesus did it with Judas. He knew what Judas was going to do. He already knew what was on Judas's mind and heart. He never once thought, I'm not going to love that guy. He kept loving him. He kept pouring love upon him. Judas may not have received that love, but Jesus poured it upon him. Who cares what they think or how they act? All you can control is you. You can't control them. In all the circumstances of all the relationships you ever have, the only person you can control is you and what you do and how you respond, how you love them. And you're like, well, that doesn't make sense. They wouldn't be a good friend if they're talking behind my back. Who cares? Are you a good friend? All you can do is be a good friend. That's all you can do. Now I want to talk about relationships with parents and children, right? Actually, the scripture for the friends one is, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. And to lay down your life doesn't mean to just die. It means to truly lay down your life like Jesus laid down his life in heaven to come serve us here on earth, to live for us. That is a true friend, to lay down your life. But now I want to talk about the parents and children. And uh, I'm going to share the scripture before I get in it. And it's Ephesians 6, 1. And it says, Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you, and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And this is a twofold thing he's saying here, right? It's twofold. First off, children, do what's pleasing to your parents, right? And you may say, like, a lot of people are like, well, my parents are horrible parents. You don't know what they do. Like, they're bad. You don't do bad things. You do what brings honor to their name. You be the best child you can possibly be. You be the best. I don't care if you're 60 and your parents are dead. You still live in a way that honors your family, your parents. Right? It doesn't mean like, yeah, my parents were druggies. And they tried to get me to smoke weed. I guess I should honor them. No, what would be honoring is saying, no, that's not good and healthy. I'm going to bring honor to your name by standing against that, right? You do what's right and moral at all times and bring glory to your parents' name. But then it also tells us that parents don't provoke the children to anger. We're not mad at them. We don't yell at them. We don't, we don't do things that will turn them away from the Lord, but instead we should always love them. And when a child's rebellious, you don't sit there and say, you're a horrible child. We say, look, I love you. We don't do that in this house. Right? And you, you provide love to them. You pour love upon them in the same way Jesus would. And uh, it's hard because sometimes you want to choke a child out. And, uh, but you can't do that. You can't choke them out. And if you have that feeling, you walk away for a moment. I don't care if your kids are grown because there's still going to be moments that that happens. But you step away for a minute and you pray and you come back and you you address the situation. You show them a love that is beyond your capability, right? Which is hard with the children sometimes. Okay, now everybody's favorite, the marriage relationship. How does the love look in a marriage relationship? And I will tell you before I get into this, the way we've always taught youth here in this church with Barnabas Ministries or anywhere I ever went, is we always remind children before they ever get married, 
that you cannot pick out the perfect spouse. You cannot create the perfect spouse. You can write a list of everything you want in your perfect spouse, and you will not find it. Right? You cannot get a spouse and then turn them into that. You have control over one person. And that, that is for you to be the perfect person. The best version of a spouse for somebody else. Right? You be the best you that you can be for the person that God's going to choose for you. You pray and you let God take care of the rest. And it's the same thing in a marriage. You're thinking like, you don't know my spouse. And I get it, Shelly. I do know him, and I, it's tough. But it, uh, I mean, I heard the jelly, whatever he was trying to say earlier. It's tough. And it, uh, but whenever you and your spouse are struggling or you're doing whatever it is, all you can do is serve your spouse. That's all you can do. You cannot change your spouse. You cannot lecture your spouse into being the person you want them to be. That is the person you married. That is the person chosen for you. That is the person you are to love the way God loved the church, the way Jesus loved the church. That means when Jesus said, I'm going to empty myself in heaven and come serve the people on earth and to live for those people on earth, in a marriage, you empty yourself and you begin to serve your spouse. You begin to love your spouse in a way that Christ loved the church. The two-way street. You can't change them. You can only love them. Right? And you're going to blow up. And you're going to argue. And then you repent and you come back to loving your spouse like Christ loved the church. You can't make them love you that way. And rather they love you that way or not, just like with Judas, you have to love them that way. No matter what. Right? Ephesians 5.22, everybody's favorite scripture. Actually, this is probably everybody's favorite scripture on wedding days. Five years later, not as much. Right? Wives, submit to your husbands as, as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives submit in everything to your husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ has loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sacrifice or sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle, or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Do you love your wife like that? Do you love your wife so much that there's no spot or blemish that anybody else sees? Do you serve her in a way that Christ gave himself up for the church and did everything for the church? That is a love. That's what we have to be thinking, right? And women, you're not getting off that easy yet, but husbands... Is that truly your love for your wife? I know it, you want it to be, but is it? Do you, do you take that extra step? Are you intentional about that? Does your wife look better because of the way you love her? Or is she just wore out? Is she beat down? Does she feel like, I don't know what to do? Or does she say, i got a great husband who takes care of me, who loves me in a way that nobody could ever love me. I am so blessed, and God has gave me a husband that just helps me in all ways. I will follow him the way he leads. His love for Christ is the way that I wish every person could see it. Right? And do people look at her and say, man, that's a good woman because I can tell by her husband. Or do they say, like, that poor woman, Right? It's a true statement. Right? So, in the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife 
loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. And women, I cut out a lot of, or didn't put uh, the whole scriptures in here, but women, you are to also submit to your husbands. You know, scripture over and over talks about women praying for their husbands, supporting their husbands. How many? How often do we do that? Are we always supporting and, and praying for them? And whenever we see there's a problem, do we just go to the Lord and say, Lord, you need to fix this man? Or do we say, Lord, what can I do to help him? Lord, how can I serve him? Lord, I believe he's the head of the household, but Lord, how can I help him be better at that? What can I do to support him? In the same way he's submitting to the Lord to lead his household, you should be submitting to the Lord to help him. Because women were created as a helpmate. Right? Not that they should be serving the man only. It's a service thing. It's a, it's a, both, it's a two-way street. But there's a responsibility in each relationship, right? There's a responsibility for both to, to lift the other up, to serve the other, to wash the feet of the other one. And uh, that's a healthy relationship. And if you're sitting around, like a lot of people sit around thinking, man, I wish my wife would do this, or I wish my husband would do that. You know what that breeds? That brings contentment. Or resentment, my bad. Resentment. It starts to get to the point where you're like, it just starts festering until it becomes a wound. And you're miserable because that wound's not healed. Whenever you could say, you know what? He may not do this. But he does all these other things. And I'm going to serve him. And I'm going to do what God called me to do. And I'm going to wash his feet. Even though he hurt me last night, I'm going to prepare the meal on the on the shore. And I'm going to have it ready for him. I'm going to show him how much I love him. And whenever you do your part, you don't have to worry about the other one's part. You do your part, and you will have a joy inside you and a peace inside of you that you can't even fathom. Because you're living the way Christ has called you to live. The reason why people are so miserable, we're not living the way Christ has called us to live. Right? And the last one, and the most important one, is what about our relationship with Christ? How would he serve him? Right? And you're thinking, well, I mean, I don't know how to serve Jesus. How would I, how could I pour back into Jesus? How can I serve Jesus? And I want you to think about your life. Think about what you do uh, on a daily basis. Do you get up and you think about Jesus? Do you, you know, if you're married, think about, even if you're not married, think about even your friends and people you're closest to. Do you think about Jesus and spend as much time with Jesus as you do those people? Right? He gave everything for us. He loves us in a way that nobody could ever love us. And how do we respond to that? Are we like Judas? Are we trying to make our own plans? Are we trying to get God to be a part of what we're doing? Because I believe Judas... Judas' biggest problem was, I believe Judas still thought Jesus was going to make a kingdom here on heaven, or here on earth, where he is king and reigning here on earth in a way that looked earthly. And he was trying to make that happen. And do we do that in our own lives? Do we try to put Jesus in our own plans? Do we try to, to make Jesus like us? Or get him to be on board with us? Or are we trying to be a part of what he's doing? Are we submitting ourselves to him? Are we denying ourselves of what we want to follow what he's asking? To follow what he's doing, right? And uh, Acts 20 verse 18 says, And when they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day. And this is Paul. From the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility, and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and Greeks 
of repentance towards God and the faith of Jesus Christ in Jesus Christ. And uh, he said, I lived amongst you from the first day I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials. And uh, do we serve the Lord like that? Do we serve the Lord with humility? In our pain, are we serving the Lord with our pain? Are we serving the Lord with our trials? In all that we go through, are we serving the Lord? Are people seeing God in what we're doing? And the best way to do that is in relationships with others. And it's going to suck at times. It's not going to be fun all the time. It's not going to be fun half the time. But do people see him there? Does, do, do we show our love? Because he says they will know us by our love for one another. And he said, I will you I know if you are my servants and if you're my followers, if you how you love people. Right? First John, read it. First John all over the place tells you that if you're not loving people, you don't love me. Right? If we're not serving people, we're not serving the Lord. He said, Serve people as if you're serving me. Right? He said, Entertain people in a way that you entertain me. You know. They say there's going to be angels placed among us just to see how we would serve. I just want you to think about how do you serve the Lord? How is your relationship with Jesus? Is it one-sided? We know, like, the big stuff is, like, we can't pay for our own sins and all that, and he took care of that part, but what about the love we pour back to him? Right? Tracy, you can come on up. It, uh, I want us to think about these relationships. There's many relationships out there, but those are the big ones in our lives every day. And uh, if our relationships are healthy, we'll be healthy. Maybe not physically, but spiritually you'll be healthy if your relationships are healthy. But if our relationships are not healthy, you're going to be unhappy. You're going to be miserable. You're not going to want to go to this place or that. I know lots of people who don't go to church anymore because their relationships are unhealthy. They've they've placed church as a place that they go to to get their needs met, to get what they want out of it, to make it look the way they want it to look instead of coming to love people. Right? It's about them more than it is about Jesus. That should never be. And it shows. You know, the statistic we talked about in prayer a couple times now is in 2018, 9% of, the, of America had a biblical worldview. 2020, 6%. 2023, 4%. Yet still 66% of the people call themselves Christians. That means of them, 62% of them are, well, actually... probably or more don't have a biblical worldview. They don't have a proper relationship with Jesus. They're not in churches. We see it. We see the results of the way this looks right now. And how do we respond to that? We respond with that by loving people. By showing them who Jesus is. By doing what we can do. We can't go out and make people follow Jesus. We can't go out and make people be the way we want them to be. We can't change people. We can change us in the way we live, in the way we love. Right? That's all we can do is change us and allow Jesus to change us because if we were actually able to do it on our own, we probably would have. I'd be a rock star. Like I'd be the best at this if I can do it on my own. But I'm not. And so I'm going to pray. I'm going to ask you guys to pray. If you need prayer, we're here. But talk to the Lord. Get that relationship good. Father God, I thank you for who you are, Lord. I thank you, Lord, even though we never have deserved it. You loved us in a way, Lord, that we can't even fathom. You loved us in a way that's bigger than we can ever comprehend, Lord. 
you're so good to us. Father God, I pray that you would help us, Lord, that you would search us, God, that you would show us ways that we can be better at loving our neighbor, at loving others, God. Reveal to us, Lord, where we fall short. Give us the desire, Lord, to love you in a way that others see you. God, give us healthy healthy relationships. Be it with a stranger, be it with friends that we have issues with or don't have issues with, be it in the home, Lord. Be it right here, God, or even in our prayer time. We need your help. Working. I ask this in Jesus' name. something that uh, I do believe we're very blessed with a lot of loving people here that, that love their family and friends and, and outsiders but I also want you to understand that if you're here and you're wishing that somebody else had heard this message then your mindset's in the wrong place God's trying to speak to each of us. He's not trying to speak to someone else. And, uh, so we need to remember that. A lot of times a message like this, you're like, boy, I wish Johnny could hear this right now. And he would change. Right? Now God's speaking to us. So close us in prayer. Father God, I thank you for who you are, Lord. I thank you that you're always speaking to us, that you love us so much. Father God, I pray that you would help us to to go through this week, Lord, loving people more, God, and to to serve them better, God, to serve them like you would love them, Lord. And uh, we need your help in this, God. I pray, God, you would put us in in places and in opportunities, God, even though we don't want them necessarily, but that you would put us in places and in opportunities, God, to love people like you would love them to develop healthier relationships, God. And God, help us in our lives to to be healthier in our relationship with you. And I pray all these things in Jesus' name.